0: podcast 49 Maddie Harland on current permaculture sponsored by my buddies at Pantryparatus.com. Uh, they sell food preservation tools produce prepare preserve your own harvest all right I got Maddie Harland on the horn here and uh, from permaculture magazine. In jolly old England, where I presume it's damp.
1: Always damp, particularly this summer because the jet stream has moved. Um, It's moved easterly, so it's bringing in all the rain um, into what should be the sunny south of England.
0: And 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 so you you need to reposition that jet. That's all you got to do. I'm glad we had this chat and I could work out with weather the problems. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we were talking a moment ago about uh, uh, what all is in this brand spanking new issue of Permaculture Magazine, and uh, uh, it seems like it's loaded to the gills. And I imagine as we talk, you'll think of like a bunch of other stuff that's awesome. But I had to finally shut you down because there's just more. You know, there's just you're going to give away all the content, and no one will need to go buy the magazine because they'll just hear listen to this free podcast and Absolutely. You know,
1: have all Absolutely. their yeah. stuff. I'll be on the street.
0: <laughs> you'll have to someone someone. You'll have to read some of those articles that you got about how to live without money.
1: Oh, I've been doing that for quite a few years, I can tell you, particularly in the 90s. (laughs) We started off with about 600 readers in 1992. You know, it wasn't a money-making concern, I can tell you. Quite the opposite.
0: It's it's amazing how if you're bonkers about doing something enough, that eventually enough people sign up and it it actually, uh, next thing you know, you've got employees. And uh, so then you have a whole new flavor of being broke. You just... All the money that comes in, you just give it to the employees. Here you go. <laughs>
1: well, they, they wish, but we also reinvest it in new projects all the time, like our new online stuff and e-books. And we're even giving a, a whole bunch of e-books on, on our website as well, with the permission of the authors, of course. But we'll talk about that later.
0: Yes, yes. We talked about how we will talk to, uh, talk about that. <laughs> so uh, I... I, uh, um, I uh, as part of that, I recently learned that uh, your next issue of the magazine, which uh, must be on a boat headed this way, because I Absolutely. haven't seen it yet. And, uh, uh, and one, one of the big articles is Sepp's Shelter. So you got Sepp Holzer talking about those those shelters that he makes.
1: Yeah, and in, he explains how to build roundwood shelters and how to build them very quickly. He builds them in a day. And he describes his designs um, for animals animals so that they're really easy to um we call it mucking out. I don't know what you guys call it, but you know, removing all the all the animal um waste poop. and, and poop. Poop.
0: <laughs>
1: We call out. it
0: manure or
1: poop. Poop. I love the word And poop.
0: and we do we do call it mucking out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, marking out good. So he he talks about how to design a roundwood t- and what it is is it's an earth shelter as well. So it's as in true sept style. It's it's dug into the bank so that you've got all the insulation insulation quality of the earth of the earth shelter. Uh, it's using roundwood timber, so it could be the sort of um, forestry the sort of stuff that usually gets pulp for paper that you know people farmers get. Very little money for, so not using any processed wood at all, and and he talks about things like the height of the doorway to make it easy um, for the animals. He talks about the orientation so that it doesn't overheat on hot summer days, but so that it's it's warm and cosy at night for them. You know, it's it's clever stuff. And then he also talks about how he adapts, so he might create earth shelters in one area and then as his rotation changes and he you know, takes pigs off the land and starts growing vegetables he turns them into earth cellars where he can store all of his vegetables and he talks about how to um, then you know, um, take the straw out add sand on the ground create um, a closed doorway and, and the whole thing is you know, beautiful permaculture design utterly multifunctional um, so you 've got uh, a number of different functions you can put pigs in it, you can put cows in it, you can store your turnips and pumpkins in it. Um, the whole thing with uh, the manure can be mupped out by tractor so that it 's very low you know it 's not labor intensive and um, and of course you 're siting the shelters um, within the system where all the vegetables are growing or where the pigs are tractoring so that You're you're recycling the manure in in the area, so it's absolute sort of minimal embodied energy permaculture design. Set holes of style, which of course has to involve some chap like manly digger because he, you know, he's a tremendous bloke. Who? Who? (laughs) Set. Set. Oh, I thought you said something
0: like. I thought you were saying somebody like somebody's some guy's name manly digger, but oh you're talking about a contraption.
1: I'm talking about a manly farm and digging contraption because you know, one of the criticisms of Seth is that of course he uses uh, petrol machines or diesel machines to you know, dig out these shelters, create these enormous dams and lake systems but you know, his justification for this is that he can transform a landscape in just three years you know, he can take something that's going into desert where you've got 90% uh, death of, of the native oaks in Portugal and within three years he can create regeneration on such a scale that an endangered um, eagle species starts to come back to roost on this land. You know, I mean, he is an extraordinary human being. He's unlike anyone I've ever met before.
0: Well, of course, I agree. Um, uh, Recently, uh, one of the the longtime users at Permies.com was saying that there's uh, far too much talk about how great SEP is on this site. And I corrected him to say that while he might think that, I own the site and I think the amount is just right and but I I think the important thing is is that there's a lot of folks out there that that talk about this this thing or that thing or, or, or whatever but Seps out there really doing it and he's making an excellent demonstration and um uh,
1: and, and he's doing it in different countries you know he's demonstrating that his system works in Alpine Austria he's demonstrated that his designs work in northern Scotland he demonstrates that they work in in South America and he's seriously demonstrating that they work in Portugal and, and Spain you know which is me- added Mediterranean and of course he does you know he works at stateside too so you know he is as serious polyculture as a permaculture designer, whereas my experience in terms of permaculture design, yes, I apply permaculture design to financial and media systems, but you know on a on a home scale i 'm really you know i 'm only experienced in cool temperate. Um, permaculture, and I don't, you know, I, I, I could probably learn how to garden and farm in the Mediterranean or subtropics, but you know, Sepp's extraordinary. He has an incredibly intuitive understanding of natural systems, and he understands how to unlock their language, um, and so he can apply his thinking in, in any climate. He's very clever.
0: Very and, yeah, and, and granted, well, a lot of the other permaculture pros that we have around are also very clever. Um, and, and, it's, and it's possible that they might have something that's, that's better than SEP. Uh, when, when it comes sure, right down to different. it, let's see it. Let's see it. Let's, let, let, let's see the example. Um, lately, I've been getting, I mean, you know, uh, the, the nice thing about a magazine or a book is that you put it out, and uh, if you don't want to, you don't have to listen to the, the critics. Um, <laughs> well,
1: we but, do, though.
0: You know, I know you do. I know that you do. And, uh, um... For uh, whenever you post a video out at YouTube, which is what you know most of my YouTube videos, the the, the, the forums and everything, all the critics can come and say whatever they want to say, and so I'm I'm constantly trying to field this. Uh, and at the same time, even some of the people that I interview um, are are saying like, we were talking about Foucault's works, and uh, one person that I interviewed was was kind of saying uh, it didn't happen, you know, and it's like, well, you were there, you saw it. And, uh, well, Fukuoka, you know, figured it out and he did it, but no one's been able to replicate it. And it's kind of like, well, I think I think a lot of people have replicated it, only they didn't bother to talk about it because Fukuoka already talked about it. And so I, I think that there's, I, you know, we've got a lot of people that are naysayers, and I think that... Um, in order to be able to make progress, we need to lean heavily on Sepulcher and Fukuoka, showing the way, showing that sure. it can be done. And just because somebody else can't understand it doesn't mean that it can't be done yeah. again
1: and also let, let's be clear uh, people like Chris, Chris Evans who've worked for you know a couple of decades now in Nepal um, implementing permaculture on a watershed scale so on a whole you know huge valley scale he's taken fukuoka um, techniques and, and actually used them and created higher rice yields in, in Nepal and um, he's also you know proved it by by documenting it and getting researchers to see it so to say that Fukuoka systems don't work of course they don't work perhaps in the UK in a cool temperate climate but in somewhere like Nepal uh, in, in you know rice growing areas around the world it's documented evidence that this is really innovative stuff it increases yields and, and you know it also reduces human labour so so I'm not interested in listening to people who don't actually go and do the research themselves because I could quote so many sources um, of, uh, and examples of places where this stuff has been applied, documented, and worked.
0: And, you know, I think Foucault made a lot of sacrifices in order to make it happen in order to prove it in order to show it yes. and um uh the,
1: and i think david holdrum has as well okay you know i think dave dave basically bill and dave dave was bill's student dave is a very methodical intellectual step-by-step intellectual man he he had this kind of co-authorship of permaculture one and two and then he went home and he he didn't go around the world kind of lecturing on permaculture and being the great Bill Mollison pioneer, he went home and he developed a plot and he put all the ideas that they had uh, presented in those two early works into practical systems at hep Perm- Permaculture Gardens. And only once he knew that he had working Ecosystems that that actually did demonstrate permaculture. That was the point where he then started to teach and travel more. And you know, I, I was very lucky in the early nineties. I spent a good couple of weeks with David, and we always said we always used to tease him because he does have a sense of humour. That it, it, it's never a question of asking Dave what he can talk about because he is one of the most astonishingly knowledgeable. Brains I've ever met. And the problem is, we're shutting him up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, it's probably important that he keeps spewing it out. I mean, <clears throat> um, we, we've and, got yeah, so much misinformation going around. We we need these guys to keep pouring the information out. Or, because it's like the other thing is, is like a lot of people don't believe it until they've heard it a hundred times.
1: Well, because a completely different way of thinking because we're thinking about interconnection of elements and all of our occasion is all about linear thinking and and you know, left brain analysis and permaculture definitely engages left and right brain and that's why we talk so much about pattern thinking and that's why we talk about you know, yields having the potential to, being a, um, to be unlimited because it is an, also about right brain function it's not just a set of intellectual applied uh, principles that, that create sustainable ecologies it's more than that which makes, means it's exciting It's new dimensions in thinking.
0: I think the most important ingredient... I I think the most important ingredient is innovation. So you talk about left brain and right brain. I think creativity and innovation is the most important thing and we need need to really get a lot more of that going on And, and, and what we have so far should be I believe the foundation for future innovation. Rather than trying to build permaculture now I think in a way the thing we need to be doing is building the foundation for those folks that are 20 years into the future who are going to really move it forward.
1: Hey. And, um, you know, there are other guys in this world. I've got an article in the latest issue about regenerative forestry in um, Australia, and this is by a guy called da- Darren Doherty, who has actually been teaching in, in Europe this, this year. My daughter, much to my deep surprise, as I never imagined one of my kids would do this, but she actually went and did a permaculture design course with him. Um, and he, she said he's technically brilliant. You know, he's a stra- another extraordinarily creative innovative man and what he did was he went into a a really um, sort of barren landscape low rainfall very poor soil and he used some of Fukuoka's techniques, he introduced um, new forestry systems, he, he personally planted thousands of, I think they planted in one year something like 20 different species uh, of tree, a thousand trees in, in April 1998 alone. Um, so they, they planted this enormous polyculture of trees, and of course the trees then brought the moisture into the system. He had nursery trees, he had trees that would be timber yields in 10, 20, 30 years time. Um, And he he changed the climate on the farm and he designed in all these economic yields so that as they thinned, um, he had a portable chainsaw mill, they could... Uh, thin up and process timber locally and create added value as well. And you know, within a short time, they had kookaburras which are fantastic little Australian birds, um, very fierce. They're related to kingfishers, and um, they're beautiful birds. They, they came in; they created a whole management system. And you know, generally, he turned around a pretty barren, yo, low-yielding farm. And turned it into something that today um, is really economically viable um, but it's also the most fantastic wildlife reserve as well. So you've got a win-win situation, you've got a beautiful place, you've got biodiversity you've got um, earth restoration and you've got an economic yield and that to me kind of sums up good permaculture design that you've got to look after the wildlife regenerate the earth but we also have to create yields economic yields you know we've got to feed ourselves we've got to look after ourselves so you know anyone who can design systems like that gets my huge round of applause
0: and then in permaculture magazine
1: well he's a good guy but my god it took me two years to get him to write it because he's so busy working in the field he doesn't really go around writing articles for us guys but my charming daughter charmed the article out of him <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and maybe the thing to do is is to try and uh, uh, find folks who uh, are fairly permaculture savvy to go to these um, great mines and And, um, you know, harvest a bit of knowledge and write about that. Uh, I know that... I, I was reading some uh, something not too long ago a guy has a blog it sounds like he's really new to permaculture and uh, somehow he was able to attend something that sepp did yeah. and in the blog he shared something he shared a few tidbits that I hadn't heard Sep say before and uh, and I it wasn't in any of his writings that I had seen and I thought it was it was really rather interesting pretty good stuff I thought so maybe you know if you can't get them to write it themselves send somebody out who can well,
1: what I've been doing is interviewing um, one person per issue for the last two, three issues and um, my latest one is an extraordinary woman she's a lawyer she used to be at what we call a barrister in England you know so called to the bar I don't know what you guys call it stateside uh, I don't know if that's an advocate or what the description is but they're
0: lawyers they're, and attorneys
1: uh, She used to be an attorney and she was standing in the High Court in London and she suddenly realised if the Earth was my client, the Earth would have no rights in international law. So she drafted the Declaration of Planetary Rights, which the indigenous president President of Bolivia has adopted and for his country and is now calling um, the Universal Declaration of Mother Earth Rights um, more to reflect the the culture there and her next job is we have the crimes against humanity genocide um, yes, crimes against peace we have genocide crimes against humanity war crimes and the crimes of aggression um, which you know, if a nation or an individual um, contravenes they can be called up into a court of international law and, and imprisoned for. And her proposal is that we introduce a fifth crime which is ecocide and that is the willful destruction of um, large scale ecosystems for instance like the um, oil sands in Alberta, Canada. If we go and mine all those up and burn all the, that peat will release massive amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere and just hasten our desperate end with climate change even faster uh, the deforest of the Amazonian rainforest is another one so it's talking about you know large scale destruction of ecosystems becoming something that the UN can say well that's a crime and she's not naive enough to think that it won't ever happen again but what it will do is it change the law and before a CEO goes to the bank and Mm. says right I need a loan for X million bucks because I want to go and drill out the gulf of somewhere else not Mexico because it's been done Um, but (laughs) you know if someone and then is found to be utterly negligible for how the um, whole operation has been run they and their board of directors will be accountable by international law and that would in her words close the door on the investment programme so CEOs would not get such easy uh, investments from banks because bank shareholders would, would call the banks accountable and the whole thing might would re-gear how we invest in large scale energy projects for instance um, and we will start to see a shift away from ecocide destructive technology into you know more ecologically benign positive technology because it can be done it can be done it's just our whole Financial orientation is in the old model at the moment, and her point is no labour anymore to you guys. But her point is, you know, this is a tool. Law is a tool. Um, everyone said you couldn't abolish slavery because if we abolish slavery, then the sugar industry in the West Indies would become financial, financially unviable. It, it was abolished, and actually the whole industry was regeared, and we can do that with ecocide as well uh, you know if we outlaw ecocide we can regear the way we do business on this planet but no, none of these guys none of these big corporates are going to regear until there is a mechanism to close the door of abuse it's just it's, it's not going to happen right. so anyway this is kind of closed permaculture design really and about bringing into being the world that you want to see and she's an incredibly powerful
0: woman i think that part of it is is that as uh something like that when it when it becomes embraced then suddenly a lot of the things that we stand for for permaculture will be respected by our more corporate cultures, uh, who will then want to make money using this tool set. Um, and I think that, you know, a big part, because like one of the things that I advocate is the idea that uh, one of these days, in the, sometime in the future, we'll go down to any grocery store or any convenience store uh, or fast food or whatever, and all the food that we can buy is uh, comes from permaculture, not because anybody gives a damn a about eco kick or anything like that but entirely because it is the most profitable path and and it's like uh you know monsanto will be no more because who wants to give money to those guys you don't really make any money you make less money signing up for their package why especially as as the scientific research recently
1: has revealed that that Roundup actually diminishes um, fertility, I believe. Actually I, I will I will hold that in abeyance, but there is some recent research about Roundup being you know, having problems, put it that way.
0: I you know, I, I can't help but think that they all do. You know, no no reason to pick on just Roundup. Hell, you know, 24D is even worse. The LD50 rates on 24D are you know pretty nasty, pretty scary. But I mean, there's all kinds of them, and it's kind of like you know, at what point are we going to get to the where where and and it's like. When you talk to the farmers about it, I mean, their thinking is optimized for these products, but then their thinking is also that the best way to do all of this stuff is with monocrop. And then um, at some point in time, I hope that we as permaculture folk have conveyed enough of a message to be able to make it so that, um, you know what, those things that we were calling weeds, uh, 90% of them were actually helping out you know they were making our crop better and and on top of that uh, a third of those Are are an actual other crop. We can we can pull them up and sell them for more money. And uh, next thing you know, uh, um, these these other plants that were formerly known as weeds um, become a a, a thing that's revered, as opposed to be something that's feared. And uh, uh, then you know, why buy any of that kind of stuff? Why buy you know Roundup or, or any of the other herbicides that are out there, or Pesticides. I mean, uh, uh, that one's that's. An, well, anyway, <clears throat> I. I. This is a whole conversation that that I get all <laughs> riled up about, and and frankly, I, I like to think that I'm uh, I'm a few uh, years past talking about this stuff. But
1: hey, it is I wanna, actually, before <laughs> I forget,
0: before I forget, I want to go back. So yes. you are talking about Sep's structures that he would build in one day. Yes out of logs. And you know what would be awesome that you yes. could do that I cannot do? And that is to go, Hey there, Ben Law. Look at this. And I'd like to hear what he has to say. I, wanna, I, I just can't help but think that Ben Law's going to look at it and he's gonna say
1: that's cool (laughs) of course he would he'd say hey he's using robinia I like using robinia hey he's recycling larch which usually gets pulp for paper I I use larch in my buildings I mean sets animal and earth cellars they're they're very rustic structures but they're similar principles to the round pole timber framing techniques which are you know Ben has developed for building human habitation (laughs) and indeed he's built shop, he's built outdoor classrooms, he's built he's built all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, from sex rustic stuff, you know, Ben yeah, Ben would be I'm sure Ben's actually seen it, actually, because um, that probably gave him the book, which the article's extracted from.
0: So when SEP was last year in the United States, or, you know, a oh. few years back, then um, uh, I, I knew a fellow that did some work like his structures, and I know that most of my listeners are familiar with it, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the works of uh, Mike Ayler. Uh, no, I'm not. He wrote that book called the Fifty Dollar and Up Underground House Book. Oh
1: yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I beg your pardon. I've read the book. I just haven't retained the author. Yeah, no, good stuff.
0: So yeah, and and the, his designs are remarkably similar to Sepp's designs. So.
1: Well, don't you think if something works and someone's you know intelligent and competent, you know we replicate these things all over the world simultaneously. You know that that's often found that things get invented in different continents within you know a short time span, a similar time. Oh, absolutely,
0: span. absolutely. Um, and and so I and the designs are they have their differences, but I think well, a lot of it is is that a lot of it was from innovation and creativity but it, with the great I mean I think a lot of SEP's work is remarkably similar to a lot of Fukuoka's work but in this case this this shelter is um, uh, remarkably similar to Mike Ayler's works and yeah. uh, and yet at the same time Remarkably unique. It's it's you'd be hard pressed to find other people that are coming up with this stuff. But um, uh, the the thing that I did, being the devious bastard that I am, I uh, I knew that Sep was teaching some stuff on ponds, yeah. and I knew that Mike Ayler had been asking me about how do you go about making a good pond with a good seal, and so I called him up. And I said, "Hey, there's uh, this fella teaching this stuff, and on top of that, he he builds structures like your structures, but I don't think he's ever read your books." And uh, and of course, you know, Mike didn't know who Sep was or anything. Well, anyway, I got Mike to come out to the class, so now uh, we got we got pictures of these two great minds together, kind of a thing, which I thought was really spectacular. It was a it was a Kodak moment, I thought. Uh, but anyway, and then during some of the presentations, Sep Sepp started talking about some of his structures and. And then it was awesome to be there while he and Mike were, like, swapping notes. And um, I, I just, it was a, it was an awesome day. So uh, I just kind of think that, you know, it would be great to see Sepp and Ben Law cross paths and uh, and see what happens. I, I just think it would be awesome.
1: So, I'd like to see Ben, um, Sepp, and Tony Wrench cross paths. Uh, the low-impact roundhouse builder as well because of course he, his roundhouse structure was all earth-sheltered as well and dug into the bank so very similar principles as well
0: Now is that that fella in Wales?
1: Yeah Yeah.
0: And he built that thing with a lot of roundwood he, he, 6,000 yeah. pounds or something?
1: absolutely he wrote he wrote a little book about it called building a low impact roundhouse uh, that we published and he had all sorts of fights with our planning authorities our local government about and they threatened to demolish it good Few times, but he, in the end, he won. And actually, what was amazing about it, it wasn't just one little isolated um, house in the middle of a national park. What he did was, he then went on to influence uh, low impact development policy for the Welsh um, Assembly, which is Welsh government. So he he helped develop. Um, Excuse me, I'm just letting my dog out of the room. Um, He helped develop a whole, you know, government, national government policy on low impact development, which I wish we had in England, but uh, the Welsh are way ahead of us on matters like that.
0: See, now I think that you were just talking about that woman who was saying, you know, ecocide or something like that, right? Yeah,
1: Polly Higgins.
0: and so my thinking is is that what she's doing and granted this is the first I've ever heard of it and whatnot sure. but I, I kinda think that that by by laying that down Possibly, hopefully, then that will open up a door so that fellas like that and all the other folks all over the world who are trying to innovate and who are trying to get us out of this mess won't have these bored government people who, you know, which coming and saying, thou shalt not. You can you are allowed to do things that have been done in the past according to these rules. We've made a mountain of rules about how you can do it and how you can't do it. You can make a little house exactly like everybody else or you you can just sit at home and weep. You're not allowed to have any other options. Do not innovate. It's against (laughs) the law. We will slap Um. you silly if you innovate.
1: Absolutely. And this whole issue about being slapped silly and not innovation, you know, in the UK in the last year, uh, two years, we've had a, like you guys, we've had a banking crisis, we've had a crisis where our politicians have been imprisoned, some of them, for corruption. We now have an incredible media saga with News International and Rupert Murdoch going on this week where, do you know what they did? some of the news of the world journalists news of the world is a tabloid newspaper it was the most successful tabloid newspaper in the uk we had a child that was kidnapped and murdered by a pedophile and she was 13 years old she had a cell phone and the journalist hacked into her cell phone to listen to her messages and when her cell message um, file became full they deleted her messages which were subsequently obviously could have been evidence in a police investigation could have helped solve the problem of her disappearance sooner they deleted it to make space for more messages so that they could have more copy. Now, when you live in a society with a media that is utterly corrupt, a corporate media that has proved itself to be corrupt, with a banking system that is totally bent, and politicians who are also um, so corrupt that they've been imprisoned in the UK, you know, that is an extraordinary world to be living in, um, and it puts a whole new slant on ethics. Well, it really does.
0: Now, now I want to remind my listeners, we do not talk about these things on com. I'll delete it. On, um, you know, and and the reason w- why is because we get these people in these these. They, they start getting all angry at each other about all these things, politics, you know. Yeah. And and so on the other hand, this is my podcast, and I can say whatever the hell I want. Okay. And I and here's here's my message of the moment. The reason why Rupert Murdoch is so fucking rich is because people keep giving him money.
1: People keep so, buying his bloody newspapers. And
0: it? so the problem, really, I mean, he's he's a symptom. Really? And so, uh, you know...
1: He's a symptom that has been courted by numerous... Um, prime Ministers who have sneaked him into Downing Street by the back door he never has entered in the last three um, terms of our three Prime Ministers he's never gone in, in, in the front door for all his meetings because he controls who runs up the, the country at the moment in the UK or he did to until this week so you know it's a fascinating time now the only comment I'd make is that people like this um, incredible woman Polly Higgins who will be going to the UN Earth Summit next year to campaign for ecocide to become an international crime what that proves is this is someone who was working within mainstream culture who suddenly woke up one day and thought I can't do this anymore I can't just um, work within our conventional legal system I've got to do something different with my life she gave up everything and she's been on this extraordinary journey and campaign for a few years and that's why I interviewed her, I met her and I was fascinated by her and That's what we have to do. All of us in our own ways have got to stand up and say, right, that is not the world I want to participate in. I'm not going to feed it with my financial investments. and I'm actually going to choose to to not only say permaculture is great, I'm going to live this life, I'm going to embody it. It's going to be what I do with my life. And I think that's a choice we all have. And um, let's go for it. So, you know, yes, I've mentioned the the dirty P word and the dirty B word for banking, but I think my point behind that is that you know we we could have a mass collective shift in group consciousness in uh, all around the world from indigenous people and people from the West if we stop subscribing to the paradigm of the current system and we make this positive step that a better world is possible. And you've done that, Paul. You've done that with all your incredible work at Rich Soil and com, and, you know, the enormous energy you put in sending these messages
0: out into the world. And, you know, I salute you for your work. And I salute you, Maddie. Before we wander (laughs) away from the topic of um, bad guys and their um, media (laughs) empires, the point I was wanting to get at there was that, um, you know, really, um, it's the fuel. What what fuels it it is people spending money on it. So every person who goes down and they buy that, uh, um, newspaper, or you know, uh, frankly, I'm, I, you know, for me, uh, some people call this feminism, but I, I, just call it, you know, the, I, I just want to see an end to the inappropriate sexism. Stop buying those fucking fashion magazines. <laughs> I mean, I really think that a huge portion of our world's ills comes from people going down and buying the fashion magazines. Just, just stop. <laughs> um and uh um and granted the tabloids you know the, we all know the tabloids do dirty ass shit and stop the giving shit. them money and they'll stop yeah. you know yeah, like, it's like basically people give them money for that crap so and and then you know let's let's all uh, you know, hey here's an idea um what if we took all the news agencies that were out there And we had some outfit that we really trusted stand up and say, we've picked out a number for every news agency for ethics and reporting of news as opposed to sensationalism. And uh, so we found out that this news agency has 20% higher integrity and news as opposed to yellow journalism than than these other ones or whatever then, you know, let's let's bring integrity back into the media. I mean, it seems like it was 60 years ago that that was a huge thing in reporting the news. You didn't get to be the anchor unless you were Captain Integrity. You know, and, some, and, and so it's like, let's let's bring some of that back. The reason why we're seeing a lack of integrity has to do with the fact that people are, like, cool with that. Like I want to see the slime and stuff. Show me the slime. And uh, so frankly, uh, Maddie, you know you're mentioning a lot of uh news stuff and I got to warn you, I really don't pay much attention to the news anymore because it's so hard to tell the bullshit from the news anymore. And uh oh.
1: I just tune it all
0: out. I'm powerfully focused on, like, I want to build good things.
1: Yeah, but I have to understand what's happening in the world, and then I have to interpret. Because I, I produce print media, I have to have... I have to be able to understand within the larger patterns, you know, where someone right. like Holly Higgins would fit. And I also have to understand how media works, in, you know, in, particularly in the States and the UK, because we are uh, a print media company that sells, you know, magazines in both countries and, right. and in Australia and Japan.
0: As another media company, me mm. you know, well, I know you' totally different uh, sure. but, but I, so yeah in effect, you and I and are are the same as Rupert Murdoch. We are media moguls of sorts <laughs> yeah. and uh, and so we feel a certain responsibility to um, you know convey what 's good and right and decent some mm-hmm. some more than others uh some are you know and uh um and and, and you and i being impoverished media moguls uh <laughs> i guess i guess it's because we've decided to uh to travel a different path than some others sure uh, but but when no i i understand like when you talk about Paulie Higgins, th- Higgins i kind of think about like yes i am so glad somebody's out there looking out after that because i sure as hell haven't been
1: no i know haven't.
0: And, and it's like uh, I've every time because when you start to, to get your head into some of that stuff how can you as a good and decent person not drop everything else and go over there and do what's right, which is what she's doing. And so for myself, I find that I have to, in order for me to focus on permaculture, which is where my passion is, then I I have to like turn a blind eye to most of what's going on in the world, or else I just can't move forward.
1: Yeah, but you're also in a very powerful position whereby if you read this interview and and if it does um resonate with you you're in a very powerful position that then you can share this information with many many thousands of people and and that's important that's very important and that is you know the positive use of media and um and that for us is you know that is will a really powerful tool, and yes, we can focus on permaculture, but we've got to focus on on you know sometimes there, there is an opportunity to focus on on the bigger on not the bigger picture, but another aspect of a design system that may not be an ecological design system but may also apply that kind of thinking and those ethics to another aspect of life and it doesn't mean you and I are suddenly going to become ecocide campaigners at a UN level it just means that we as media people have the opportunity to share um, other people's visions that are immensely positive positive. And powerful, and well, potentially world-changing. Well with you know, our beloved audience is listening to us. <laughs> you know, well, let's face it, we're only here because people listen. So if um, not go away. It's just you and me chatting to each other, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> which would be okay. Well, yeah, it'd be fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> having a good time. I do have to go in five minutes, but I can come back another time if if. if you know, this is a positive experience. We've covered only one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, but they always leave you wanting more, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I've, I've got. To, so I think we've talked about sub shelter uh, yeah. well enough. I yes. mean there's so much more to that but uh what else, you know how far can we go down that road yeah. um, uh, you mentioned something about a regenerative farm Yeah the first uh, thing and yeah then, And then in the in next issue there's going to be something about how to make your own charcoal for yeah. using in water filters
1: Yeah yeah instead of buying really those plastic filters that you discard um you you can sort of open the top of them make your own charcoal fill them up cap them and, and put them into your filter unit so it's, there's a whole page of how to make um, batches of, uh, of charcoal, how to grind it up to the right texture and, and never throw away a plastic cartridge ever again by one of our fabulous readers our readers come up with these brilliant ideas as you, as, you know you guys do over there and so it's, it's just a sort of typical example of, sort of permaculture applied to filtering water
0: and then, and then you have an article about somebody who was living I bl- you know and I, I might have written this down wrong living out in the country in a community but yeah. then they elected to move into the suburbs and it yeah. was kind of like not just a simple choice it was a very evolved choice yeah. very rich they, yeah. decision
1: they were, they were living in an in, they, are, they were living in an intentional community in the, on one of the islands just off Scotland um. Which which was also created an awful uh, a lot of its own organic food, which is not easy in, in that climate. And um, they decided that as their children grew older, to to go home, to go back to um, a more suburban lifestyle. And and it's the rationale of of you know half of their heart love the wilderness, um, but the other heart half, half of their heart. W- Wanted their children to sort of have the opportunity to have a greater, not financial or even social opportunity, but just to to not have the complexity of having to get a boat to get to school every day, uh, uh, and also to have like peers that could be playmates after school without having some, you know, massive organisation, um, you know, to get the kids over so that they could do take classes after school ballet or you know whatever they wanted to do so they, they made this very conscious choice to go back into a more mainstream life um you know, to still grow their food, but to live in a suburban house, having lived on a, in this intentional community with extensive organic gardens and polytunnels, right. and, you know, so that I, to me, it's kind of, it was like swimming against the, the idealism because a lot of us think, oh, I want to live in an intentional community and I, I want to, you know, grow all my own food and I'd lo- I, want to, I want to rewild myself in the wilderness, and these guys did it, and actually they found as a family that much so they loved it and they will miss it. This is the story of why they chose to go back, and that's something that Ben Law has always said to me. He's always said, You know, we've got to do our permaculture where we are. You know, if we all in, in the UK, there was a huge movement that you know, if you were cool, you moved to Wales because the land was cheap and um, you could you know get a small holding for the size of a postage stamp piece of land in the south of england and you know so there was a mass exodus at, at one point and and then there was a big exodus to spain and portugal um particularly in the 90s um and and now i think there's this sort of dawning realization that we, we, wherever we are, we've got to look at how we can permaculture the world. So we've got to do it in the city, in the suburb uh, And there's another article in, in the magazine all about um, the permaculture edge of people and making sure that permaculture is not about sort of worth, it, you know, middle-class white educated people. That it it's socially inclusive. That it in all kinds of different projects and people and that it has very real benefits um, in terms of you know quality of life and nutrition for people who are poor and usually socially excluded from these kind of things. So that's that's kind of another story in the MAG from America.
0: Am and r- ram pumps. In
1: yes. And then the last... Another story... I mean, there's 90 pages of this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it just comes in. And um, another thing... It's another story of a guy that did go to Portugal to set up a forest garden organic farm and buried in the undergrowth was a Victorian ram pump, um, a hydraulic ram pump that pumps water um, to help irrigate the land without any electricity at all. It's just used, uses you know its own force... And um, this is the flow,
0: thought, some kind of water flow, someplace else. Usually, a ram pump of a yes. pumps about you know one tenth of what passes yes. through.
1: Yeah, so, so it uses the, the energy of the, the existing flow to redirect the flow to other parts of the farm. So it's completely electricity-free. There's no running costs. It's, it's an incredible Victorian invention and wonderful mechanism. And and uh, he was fascinated by it. So he wrote down all the details, and he, he was back in the UK, and he did some research, and he found that the com- the, the company was still, operating in Somerset um, it was run by the you know descendants of the people who founded it and they had all the plans for the guy's particular model of the ram pump they could tell, show him all the plans, explain exactly how to renovate it and he's renovated it and it's enabled that um, farm to, to flourish in what is a very arid environment so I just think that's so cool because you know yes we need innovation and creative thinking but also we need to reclaim um, much of the wisdom and intelligence of our ancestors and and use that knowledge to create sustainable systems you know it's this marriage of intelligent um, tradition and wisdom and practices with uh new thinking design and innovation well you know what a what a buzz
0: (laughs) that's what it's all about there you go now there there was one last thing that we wanted we talked about earlier and we wanted to wrap up with but maybe you don't have time now to talk about the permaculture ethics yes yes do you
1: know Shall we have a little permaculture ethics show together where we will we, we, uh, uh, we'll make another date and um, where we actually talk about permaculture ethics? But should we talk about them from other perspectives rather than the usual ones? So, should we talk about them applied to um, other ways of thinking? You know, what's the permaculture ethics of fashion?
0: hell if i know
1: <laughs> i knew that would be a cover choice. your ass i guess
0: i don't know <laughs> sure, That's form and
1: form and. Um, the,
0: perma- the permaculture ethic of fashion is is don't don't let your junk hang out where everybody can see it that's uh is that yeah. it and we could we
1: could have a very good chat about fair shares limits to growth I mean there are many names for the third ethic. It's not just redistribution of surpluses. It, it it's it's had you know, it's had a number of interpretations.
0: It wasn't the earliest version of the third ethic something about growth? Like like Yeah, limits oh. to
1: growth.
0: Yeah. Lim- yeah, limits
1: yeah. to growth. I mean controversially it could be about human population.
0: But then that got flushed down the toilet or Well it got there was
1: a the loo the lava there was this groovy little thought that we could have a kind of earth care people care fair shares you know because it rhymes nicely but actually <laughs> there are a lot of permaculture designers that like this stringent concept of limits to growth um, and curbing the post-industrial growth system and then of course there's the, the other concept of redistribution of surplus which has been as we've discussed open to great misinterpretation and right. uh, been used as an excuse to rip off other people's stuff and and you know give it away and not actually honor the people who've invested vast amounts of time and energy in their life into creating um you know material and and as i said to you paul if i went into you know Okay, so here is an, e- an e-book pirate who just rips off work like, from an author. If I went into their garden and pinched all their crops and said, oh, I'm re- redistributing your surplus, man. You've got loads of food that, um, you know, I'm harvesting now and I'm giving it all to my friends for free. How would they feel? And that neat right. the simplicity of it. It's like without permission, it's theft. Um, and there's a reason for that.
0: And and the thing I've seen said so many times, on top of your example, so I can take what I've heard so many times and merge it to your example, is like, hey, man, there's no way you could possibly eat all of that. So I'm helping you out, man. I am, I am just taking all this extra food that you really don't need because, hey, you're one fat fucker anyway. And uh, so I'm really doing you a favor, man. Yeah. And I took all this food, and I took it over to my friends over here, who, um, you know, they were looking for some munchies, you know. So uh, now they got food, that is it's uh, just redistributed the surplus, man. That's all it is. Uh-huh. See? And yeah, then you yeah. getting all uppity about it,
1: yeah. obviously, you don't fully understand what permaculture is all about. Yeah but this is a, this is a shallow manipulation of ideas for for personal gain and uh, it's not honest and that, that's really the bottom line and it's like if people come along and rip off our Set Holzer e- e-book which they do what it means is that we can't create more Set Holzer translations because we can't generate enough search to reinvest in in translation tran- professional translators to create new material so what they do is they dam the stream and they dam the stream with a kind of inappropriate uh, hippie idealism that actually is disrespectful to the author the translator and the, um, the publishers and it's not that we're breadheads it's just that you know you have to eat and uh well, you ha- those you have to generate surplus to, to create new projects. That's, the, people, that's the bottom I line. Get,
0: I get the people on permies.com who are copying the books, and, yeah. and I shut them down, and they, they do yeah. their spiel about how I don't understand permaculture. Yeah. And and here's yeah. what I tell them. I say, here's in order to be able to do share the surplus, here's how it works. Mm-hmm. Instead of stealing somebody else's book and giving it away or selling <laughs> it or whatever you're doing... Right, here, right, right. <laughs> you go write your own book, and man. Write your own book and yeah. give that away all you want. That's and cool. That's awesome. And we Taking have. somebody else's stuff exactly. and giving away. That's theft.
1: Or, and I just what? want to tell you, anyone who's listening, we have a whole set of authors who have done that, including Chris Evans, who I mentioned, who's used Fukuoka techniques in Nepal. And it's on www green-shopping.co.uk you look in the book section and it's called free eBooks, and those are given away uh, you know we've put them up there at our own cost we, we pay for the bandwidth and the authors have gifted them for, to us to do that and there are many permaculture design texts there and there is no pirating at all so you know I'm sharing my surplus where it's appropriate with permission from my authors but in other cases it's it's just not feasible to to do it with every project. So you know we're doing, we do we have a polyculture, and you know blessed are the polycultures because they will inherit the earth. The Mormon culture of piracy is this bullshit.
0: Right. It's just it's just screwing everything up, and and uh, uh, it's like why you know we we've got people who are working on new books, and then we've got people that are like saying as soon as it comes out I'm going to copy it and give it away because the information is just that good and it's, it's kind of like okay yeah. now what you're doing is you're telling this person ahead of time you are my servant slave slash personal bitch yeah,
1: I know. And I don't so why,
0: why would this person continue to write why would this person continue to put anything together if if their information is okay. going to make it so that they're not going to be able to um, put food in their belly or whatever, well, uh, you know, exactly. pay their rent or, or you know, there, yeah. there's there's no there's no incentive for them to do that. Now, granted, we've got people who talk about things like gift economy and and all these other oh. things. Now that we got to be doing it this way, and it's kind of like, yeah, all those things are really awesome. Um, you know, we and the rest of the situation is set up that way. Or if the person who's doing all the work is like signed up for that package, but then instead sure. of we've is people who show up and take their stuff and start selling it or giving it away and claiming gift economy. And it's like, hey, guess what? That person never signed up for the gift economy. So
1: therefore, it's double think, isn't it, Paul? It's yeah. double think. And, yeah, it's, and, and it's, it's, you know, let's be honest. Let's stop playing games. Let's stop being naive. Let's treat each other with respect. Let's give away when we choose to. But let's also understand that people have to make a living and pay their taxes and live in the real world and feed their children. So, you know, there you go. So, so yeah. I, I said, there you go. I am being called. So my next appointment by <laughs> my, my beloved who's in charge
0: (laughs) do you you call it a schedule or do you call it a schedule
1: oh we have schedules over (laughs) here but I'd love to talk to you again I love talking to you, you're great fun and um, I send all my good wishes to all the cool dudes that are doing permies.com and and, um, listening to this podcast and thank you
0: (laughs) thank you Maddie, we'll talk to you later
1: Yeah. cheers Paul, take care